With the calendar year half over, it's a good time to review your financial life. For people in the federal employee health benefits plans, for example, open season isn't all that far off. Financial advisor Abe Grungold joins me with a few of the housekeeping tips to keep in mind at this year's midpoint. And, well, what should people be doing now besides thinking about their beach vacation, Abe? Well, Tom, thank you for having me on today. And if you are a federal employee and you got married or divorced this year, or maybe you moved to another home or apartment, you need to update your federal employee benefit forms and beneficiaries. It's very important to do that. And fortunately, the government has a form for every occasion. All right. And uh, what if nothing's changed in your life? Is it a good idea to review it anyway? Absolutely. You need to review uh, everything that's going on with respect to your benefits. You need to review your health insurance form, your life insurance, your TSP, uh, and many other available forms regarding uh, federal pay and, unfortunately, death benefits. You need to make sure that these are up to date. Yeah, these are longish forms, and it's probably a good idea to make sure everything is correct anyway. So you just redo the form and resubmit it, you think is a good good policy? Well, every agency is a little bit different. Some agencies have a uh, payroll program, or they do many of their benefits through some sort of a online program, which makes it easy for human resources. Other agencies that are not uh, on the on the high technology end, end of it still have to submit the paper forms. So there are many different types. And a really important form that a lot of federal employees don't know about, it's called the SF-1152. And that's the designation of beneficiary in the event that you pass away as a federal employee, how that that form handles unpaid wages. Who is going to get that last paycheck? And that form is very important. Yeah, so if something has changed in your family life then, for example, if you got divorced or if a child became of majority age or whatever, anything could happen, grandchildren came into the picture, then you would want to just make sure everything is the way you want it to be, given the changed circumstances. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the day that I got married, uh, that following Monday when I came back from my honeymoon, I went down to HR and I filled out my SF-2809 relating to health benefits. And it's a table of permissible changes in enrollment. It's called a qualifying event. The day I got married, I added my spouse to the health benefits. The day I had uh, my daughter, uh, she was automatically put on the health benefits. So I had to fill out a form for her as well. So yes, you you have to update your forms because no one is going to do that for you. You have to be responsible for doing it yourself. And what should people be thinking about with respect specifically to health insurance at this point in the year? Well, for health insurance, you should really be looking at how much have you spent so far this year? 
if you are not participating in the federal spending account, which you can put money aside to pay for benefits, you need to think about how much money you're spending towards your health benefits. And the FSA program is is a very good program to participate in. You can save quite a bit, bit of money on your taxes as well as paying for benefits. But you also should be looking at to see if the present coverage of your health plan satisfies your medical needs uh, for yourself, for your spouse, and for your family members. Is it providing the health benefits that you need? Because health changes and circumstances arise during the year, and the open season isn't all that long. It's only about three weeks and so that's maybe too short a time to really do all the math, add up all of the possibilities before you go out and choose a plan. So it sounds like you're saying forearmed with some knowledge about what your circumstances are at this moment, it might make your time more efficient during open season in comparing the plans themselves. Yeah, certainly if you develop some sort of a health issue, uh, you need to look to see does your health plan cover that health issue. And if it doesn't, you need to make an adjustment during open season to seek out a plan that you can afford and provides the health benefits that you need. So prior to open season, the comparison chart comes out and it gives you a summary of benefits. And certainly the most important part is the, uh, the premiums that are going to be associated with that health plan. So you need to do your homework. You should spend time doing this because health benefits is a very uh, expensive part of your budget during the year, and you need to evaluate that seriously. And if you are contemplating retirement in, say, six months, I mean, you're deep into that window of you better know what the heck's going on financially for when you do retire. What are some of the questions to have at this point? Well, retirement is something that you really need to think, is this the right year for for me to retire? And also, can I afford to retire? Uh, Are you going to have the sufficient amount of income stream to pay your monthly bills, to pay your health insurance, and also be able to go on a vacation or spoil your grandchildren or buy a motorcycle, whatever that little extra is, you need to understand, can your monthly retirement income stream handle those expenses? And what about life insurance? That requirement changes at each stage of life, too. And sometimes people carry on with these long-term policies long after they're all that economically beneficial. Well, from a personal standpoint, Tom, I had a 20-year term life insurance policy for myself and my wife. And when I reached age 62, I was thinking about retirement. I realized I didn't have any more debt, so I decided to terminate my life insurance. But if you need to make some sort of a change, say you got divorced or married, you need to fill out the SF-2823 designation of beneficiary. You don't want your ex-spouse becoming the beneficiary of your life insurance if 
that is something you don't want to happen. <laughs> right. So you better update that form. And that spouse is going to be on the lookout for that. You can be sure of that. So you've got to make sure you're a step ahead. Well, there's another interesting thing about that, Tom, and that is uh, Social Security. Uh, a lot of times when uh, a person passes on, their ex-spouse is entitled to their Social Security benefits. That's something that somewhat can't be stopped. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. They Sometimes they have this feeling that they don't want their ex-spouse to get any more than the money that they settled with them at the time of divorce. So a lot of these issues come into play. Sure. And I guess if you yourself have gone to the great beyond, then maybe you won't care so much where your Social Security benefits get distributed. The other issue is, you know, your thrift savings plan strategy. Again, midsummer, the stock market is a little better than it was way, well, it's way better than it was a year, a year and a half ago. And I think there was a recent story in one of the papers nationally about how many people that are boomers, that is either retired or getting set to retire, are getting aggressive in their investment strategies, maybe to make up for lost time. What's your thought there? Well, I think every participant in the TSP should be somewhat aggressive in order to keep up with inflation and to keep up with the withdrawals from their TSP if they're going to make monthly withdrawals. Now, personally, I had my account drop, I believe it was about 25 to 27% since last year. And it has now come back 17%. And it's still about 8% away from the all-time high. But you need to be somewhat aggressive. And also, you need to review your TSP3, uh, Thrift Saving Plan Designation of Beneficiary. Now, the website, the TSP website, does allow you to make a change electronically online with your beneficiaries. You should have a primary and at least a contingent in the event something happens uh, to your primary beneficiary. I recently updated mine. Uh, I had my parents listed, and I unfortunately, I had to remove my parents and then make sure that my spouse and my daughter were added. So, yes, it's very important to review this uh, every year. And if you are retired now and you still have to think about health insurance, your TSP, what you're withdrawing from it, et cetera, et cetera, any particular advice now, again, this kind of mid-year housekeeping check? If you're thinking about retirement uh, it, it, and you really should, I hate to say, update the debt benefits form, uh, SF-3104, uh, uh, in the event that, you know, you, you, you do pass away, there is a beneficiary for your benefits if you're a federal employee. Now, if you are uh, uh, thinking about retirement, you're going to have to develop an account on the OPM retirement services online website and you really need to think about uh, making sure that you have a will and some sort of uh, plan to I hate to say what is going to happen in the event you do pass away what are your wishes 
when that come when that day happens. Don't leave that to to be the decision of a family member who will have to make that decision for you. And probably but, it's a good idea not to download a will form from the internet and fill it out, but shell out what you need to to get a competent estate attorney to to handle that for you. Yes, yeah, so a will. A simple will is not that expensive to do, and you should also have a power of attorney form and also healthcare proxies. In the event uh, something happens to you and and you are unable to make uh, medical decisions on your own, your bills still have to get paid uh, if you can't make your medical decisions on your own. So yes, a will, power of attorney, and healthcare proxies. Very important. Sounds like if you do all of that review now, then uh, this way when you hit vacation, you'll really be able to enjoy that margarita by the beach and not have any worries about your financial planning. Yeah, it, financial planning is not just about the numbers. It's about retirement decisions, life decisions. Have you thought of everything? And these decisions have to be made. It's best to make them before uh, the, uh, uh, something happens in your life. You don't want someone else to be uh, making this decision for you, and you don't want to have uh, these decisions made for by a judge in court or something along that line to settle the estate of your affairs. So try to do your homework and try to prepare proper planning prevents poor performance. And if you have a checklist and run through these things and get these things done before you retire, retirement will be pretty pretty uh, straightforward and you can spend more time vacationing and fishing, et cetera. Financial advisor Abe Grungold is a retired federal manager. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tom, for having me on. Always a pleasure. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, 
I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people. Uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arena. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot and please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it. Okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right. And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on. Absolutely. Them. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces, when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them re really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, describe how your personal background and upbringing 
folds into how you function as a leader? You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. 
But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett, and really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure's mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.